From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official health care provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. With the streak hanging in the balance, the Gators staged a dramatic comeback last Saturday to defeat Kentucky 28-27 and broke big blue hearts all over again for the 31st consecutive time. Now 2-0 in the SEC and returning home for three straight conference matchups, on today's show we'll discuss the stunner in Lexington and get you set for Vandy with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry, wide receiver Freddie Swain, and new offensive line coach Brad Davis. But first, it's been a busy week in the news for the Gators both on and off the field, and we'd be remiss if we didn't address the latest developments regarding the nine suspended football players. So before delving into what did happen at Kentucky and what will happen against Vanderbilt, we asked Scott Carter and Chris Harry to summarize the latest info on the inactive Gators. This is basically the next uh, phase of, of the legal process for them because the the UF has now, you know, filed these uh, sworn complaints of uh, felony charges against these nine players. And now what's going to happen is the uh, state attorney is going to review those files. They're going to study the cases, uh, gather their own details to supplement what they have now. And then I would expect in a few weeks they will either uh, charge these players with the felonies that um, – are already, you know, being the, the complaints against them, or some guys uh, may enter pre-trial diversion programs. I mean, there's a lot that we don't know yet. There's also some different uh, criteria for different players since some of their uh, transgressions were greater than others, uh, and some of the guys have had issues, uh, legal issues in the past. So, though all those things will be taken into uh, play, but uh, obviously uh, what it means right now, I mean, for the Gators team, they're going to move forward as they have without these guys that they have all season. But certainly uh, in the backdrop of the program right now, you still have that story, and it's not complete yet. News first broke, I believe, was August August 15th, Scott? Does that sound? Yeah, right around there, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, this has been hovering over this team, and Jordan, I think Jordan Scarlett joined the fray, if you will, like the week of the first, the week of the Michigan game. Mm. This has been hovering over this team for a while. I think, if anything, this is a, I hate to say, another step toward closure in terms of, you know, they haven't been here, Adam. Right. Okay. They played without them to date. And it's entirely possible they'll be playing without them the entire season. And maybe at some point downstairs uh, in the in the football office, maybe they've been acting on that assumption for a while. Maybe they haven't. I don't know, because Jim McElwain, he keeps real private about this stuff because uh, of his thoughts for these players and what have you. But in terms of what happens on the football field, this doesn't change anything. The biggest change that's happened with this football team has nothing to do with these nine guys. It has to do with Luke Del Rio now being the starting quarterback and, you know, finding some way to improve the offense, which he did in the uh, fourth quarter against Kentucky, which we'll be talking about momentarily. But, I mean, it's it's a black eye. It doesn't look good. It's national headlines. Anytime you're on the crawl uh, on ESPN, it's probably not good. So this is something that they have to fight through. Although at the same time, I just I just don't think it changes a whole lot of what's going on day to day because – these guys haven't been out on the football field for a long, long time to begin with. And it's worth noting that the seven guys that were initially suspended, as you mentioned, in mid-August, they're not even in the team photo. I mean, they have not been at practice. They have not been in the facility. So it really is. It's as if they're not part of this team at the moment. So it doesn't really change anything tangibly as the Gators on the field prepare and continue to, to move through their season. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, uh, you know, for the big news beyond that yesterday was obviously the announcement that, you know, Luke Del Rio is going to start against Vanderbilt on Saturday. So uh, we're going to get to see uh, if that second half comeback they had up in Kentucky uh, in the fourth quarter uh, when Del Rio entered the game, if that carries over some of that momentum. But again, you know, when you're talking about the big picture here, like both you guys have mentioned, it's really kind of a, a non-issue in terms of what has actually happened with this team through three games. You know, it's certainly a, a hot news topic, but these guys have been there without them. And uh, I think, you know, the players and coaches, I mean, they come to work daily. I mean, that's not on the top of their 
their minds at all. I mean, they're looking at Vanderbilt and what they have to do to try to, you know, win their third in a row in the SEC. When, and there's something to be said, too, for the whole idea of next man up. It's talked about a lot, and I think against Kentucky, we really saw that because while Jordan Scarlett's not there, Malik Davis is. While Antonio Callaway's not there, Freddie Swain is. Kadarius Tony is. I mean, you're starting to see some of these younger players that we've been talking about and didn't really see immediately in that Michigan game. Now they're starting to find their way, and, and it seemed to make Florida a little more dynamic offensively. I don't think it's necessarily a next man up thing. Those guys were available to begin with. At some point, the coaching staff said, all right, let's put these guys in the game. Mm. I mean, McElwain said after that Michigan game, get it to the get it to guys. And uh, I'm not sure they, they did it as much as they would have liked to against Tennessee, although Malik Davis certainly flashed in that game for one play. But my God, I mean, the game's on the line and they got two freshman tailback. They're driving down, giving him the ball on huge, huge plays to keeping the chains moving and what have you. They obviously entrusted uh, the comeback to Luke Del Rio, who they have a lot of faith in. But they obviously lost a little bit of faith probably in in Felipe Franks. But I think more of the playbook is going to be available uh, when Luke Del Rio's in the game. And as far as another get it to guy, I mean, Kadarius Tony, one carry, 36 yards, one pass, 50 yards, uh, four catches, 35 yards. The guy's dynamic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, last time I saw a guy do stuff like that was when Jacquez Green was running around on the field. I'm sure I wasn't here for Percy Harvin. I'm sure people would compare him to that. They, yeah. They're all different players, but that guy makes things happen. It's usually making people miss. So I don't see anything but those guys being obviously more involved in the game plan starting this week against Vanderbilt. And going back to Kentucky, and not just those guys that helped get the win, but what else stood out to the two of you? Because that was a game that if you were watching it, I mean, for a long time, that did not look like a game that Florida was going to win, even less so than the Tennessee game. Ultimately, what did you think made the difference and allowed them to continue this crazy streak that's now at 31 in a row? Well, you just saw the energy that they got, and I'm not going to say it happened when Luke Del Rio went in the game, but... You know, after they showed some ability to move the football, what I noticed was how differently the defense played. The defense didn't play very well for three quarters, but I believe they gave up, was it Scott, 42 yards in the fourth quarter? Yeah. And so they that had to happen for them to have any chance to win the game, to come back from 13 points down. And after the Gators marched down for, I believe it was that 75 or 80-yard uh, drive, keyed by that Tony to uh, Tyree Cleveland spectacular play and uh, some plays by Brandon Powell, Defense went out and got the ball right back for the offense. And I just think, you know, if you've gone by Twitter and seen some of the nasty things being said by the Florida defense, and I know you can't bank on Twitter for a lot of things, but you can certainly bank on it for overreaction. But uh, I don't think there's any question there's some really good defensive players on the team. We saw C.C. Jefferson. What I saw, The guy that's jumped out at me was Taven Bryant, what he was doing in the middle of the field. But I really thought the defense responded to what the offense did, and that can only be a good thing for this team. Yeah, I mean, they totally play off each other, uh, that defense-offense equation. And, you know, I'm going to go back to really, I do see the Del Rio insertion into the game being huge because if you watch the offense, they were snapping the ball on average about two or three seconds faster. I saw something on uh, Pro Football Focus. I think they had the exact number, like 3.5 seconds or something. They were snapping the ball faster. What that allows the offense to do is, you know, finally develops rhythm and play with an urgency, which, you know, with a younger quarterback like Felipe Franks, I mean, there are things that he simply cannot do because of a lack of experience that Luke Del Rio is just natural for him. And I think that response, the way the offense played, just putting together drives. I mean, that was a 13-play uh, drive on the final one that put him up. That's a good sign. I mean, obviously, getting your defense a little bit more rest, they come out fresh. Uh, when your offense actually holds the ball. But more than anything, uh, Adam, I saw resiliency. Because I'll be honest with you, when it was 27 to 14, I was already writing everything that the Gators lost. The streak was over. I didn't really see them coming back from that game. And then, of course, uh, you know, you get Del Rio coming in. You get the defense starting to make some plays. You get that first touchdown by Brandon Powell. I think that really gave them an extra oomph. And uh, they finished strong. And, uh you know, a lot of people are saying, well, this team could easily be 0-3. But guess what? They're 2-1 because they've been in position at the end to win the game, and they've won both of them. That's what uh, winning teams do. <laughs> you know, so we'll see how it goes the uh, rest of the season. But they, they got to be in position to win, to pull that stuff off. 
one thing that continues to confound in looking back on that game are the two defensive busts by Kentucky that left receivers wide open for touchdowns. And I actually talked to Freddie Swain about it on this podcast, and he said that that's never happened to him at any level of football, even going back to middle school, peewee, you name it. Have you guys ever seen anything like that happen twice in a game at this level? Yeah, I mean, I haven't. Pretty inexplicable, I think, by the tone of uh, Mark Stoops' voice and his expression after the game. I don't think he's ever seen it either. You know, that's just some key coaching mistakes and key points in the game and, the, you know, some maybe young players not instinctively picking up the fact that, hey, there's a guy over there uncovered. we got to go cover him. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that play there, uh, but no doubt that's that's a rare thing, and I think it even got highlighted Hey, Monday Night Football. Monday Night yeah. Football. Man, did it. Yeah. First of all, it's unforgivable because it's one thing not to see it, something develop on the sidelines, but you got like 10 coaches in the booth that ought to be able to see it sure. screaming headset. And there's too many fail safes. You know, I'd say 99 times out of 100, a play like that is halted by a timeout yeah. uh, from the sidelines. And not only did it not happen for the game winning touchdown, it didn't happen on Tyree Cleveland's touchdown mm. either. So, to have two incredible blunders, gaffes like that, in a game where you lose by one point, in a game where you lost 30 in a row, you're trying to have this a signature win for your program for it to happen uh, to a team that's coached by a defensive coach. I can't imagine he slept very well. Well, I know one person who did was that cheerleader. Did you see her reaction? <laughs> she went after it. Yeah, she was, she was berating the defense for that mistake. She was all over him, man, after that play. She really wanted that streak to end, but uh, that whole scenario was uh, summed up nicely by her reaction. Well, and the reactions of the Kentucky fans and the players after the game, I mean, just watching on TV, you could feel it. I'm curious for you guys being there in Lexington and, and being in that environment, what was that like? Because they were so sure that they were going to bring down the goalposts and have an incredible celebration, and then it just turned on such a dime. I, I haven't seen many things like that. That's an easy answer. I've seen it 15 times before. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, obviously they've had the Kentucky teams that passed the floor were up there and killed a bunch of times. weren't as talented as this one and didn't have like that, that air about them. But uh, Scott and I will tell you, two years ago, they certainly thought they were going to win. Yeah. And a 14-9 game went down the end. I mean, let's think about this a second. 2014, uh, overtime, they certainly had a chance to win here in Gainesville. Uh, 2015, McIlwain's first season had a chance to win that game. Last year, obviously, it was a blowout, 42-7. But, yeah, they had they had their chance this year. And, you know, like I wrote in my story, death taxes and Florida-Kentucky football. They went there to see history. All they saw was history repeat itself. And um, no one was surprised at the ultimate outcome. A lot of people were surprised about how it got to that point. And in regards to blowouts, that leads us to Vanderbilt, who got the 330 slot on CBS, and everyone thought they might give Alabama a game, and then they lost 59 to nothing, and Alabama just reaffirmed their status as the world beater in the SEC. And then Vandy follows that up by coming to Gainesville this weekend. And guys, there's a lot of interesting things around this game. It's Vanderbilt's response. It's Florida with Del Rio. It's a noon kickoff. And yet McIlwain seemed really intent on focusing on the fact that Florida has not played well against Vanderbilt in recent years, and they haven't played well at noon. And it seemed like he was almost trying to get ahead of this psychologically and make sure his team knows that there's some things inherently that, that are working against them. No, I have no doubt that was some of his uh, motivation there to try to remind these guys, you know, yeah, it's Vanderbilt. They got killed by 59 points. They gave up 496 yards rushing. But guess what? They had three first downs. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. <laughs> it was about as bad as it could be. Going back to the Gators and this matchup on Saturday, I mean, you know, Vanderbilt, ever since Derek Mason's gotten there, he's kind of like Mark Stoops at Kentucky. He's He's a defensive guy, a very good one. You know, it took him a little a little while, but they look like they're on the cusp of being a you know maybe a bold team this year. They started three and zero, and there's a lot of teams that are going to get hammered by Alabama. Maybe not that bad, but it's going to happen if you play Alabama. So this is a big game for Vanderbilt to uh, come down here and say, you know, on their side, I'm sure they're saying, look, Florida, they've had to play the last two weeks, and they took miracles for them to win. So let's go down there and show them what we can do. But it, it all starts really with Raph Webb for Vanderbilt. And in the matchups they've had recently against Florida, he's been the key guy to make things happen. Obviously, a kid from Gainesville who the Gators didn't uh, pursue, went up to Vanderbilt, has had a really good career. But he's, if you look at his stats, Adam, this year, 
teams have really uh, kind of focused on him. His longest rush is nine yards. He's only averaged 2.6, but he's been more involved, I think, you know, on the kind of the edge trying to get into the passing game. So it'll be interesting to see if they maybe go back to use him traditionally like they have or if they're still giving him more opportunities in the receiving game. But uh, either way, Florida's got to uh, come out and shake those cobwebs out early because you're right, they haven't played well in some of these noon starts. Well, yeah, and they haven't played well against Vanderbilt the last two years, like you pointed out, Adam. Two years ago here, it took a field goal, I believe, in the last minute of the game yep. to clinch the SEC East. They had 258 yards. They scored three field goals that game. They won 9-7. to And last year, they go to go to Nashville uh, with Austin Appleby as their quarterback. Really struggled up there. 236 yards of offense. Only won 13-6. Scored one touchdown. So one offensive touchdown the last two years against this team. Vanderbilt was a bowl team last year, by the way. Derek Mason took them to, I believe, the Independence Bowl. So they'll have something for them defensively. But uh, at the same time, Florida's not going to have uh, offensively what Alabama trotted out against them, 677 yards and 30 Ooh. first downs. Mm. And like Scott said, 496 yards rushing. Uh, Vanderbilt had 78 yards, and like I said, those three first downs. So remember, when Florida went to uh, Vanderbilt last season, it was, again, with Appleby as the quarterback, and it was a couple games removed from when uh, Del Rio got hurt. Del Rio is 100% healthy, going to have a whole week as a taking first team reps. So um, I think the offense is going to have a little more, little more options to it. Uh, they're going to open up the playbook more. And Scott made a great point about that statistic about being able to get in alignment and run a play. You know, three seconds is a lot. That means he's, he's recognizing defenses. He's getting the offensive line in their protections and he's processing information a lot faster than Felipe Franks was. And that's only going to benefit the offense. When it's obviously a huge week for Del Rio and this offense, and conversely, what does this mean for Felipe Franks? You know, let's say Del Rio goes out, plays really well, Florida gets in a rhythm against Vandy, and you know, then, if we're looking ahead, has a chance to be undefeated in the East going into Jacksonville with everything at home. So let's project this out and say that things go well with Del Rio. What does that then mean for Felipe Franks? Well, I think it means that he's going to have to keep his head in there because he can obviously one snap away. Del Rio's uh, injury history, if you go back to last year, once they got into the SEC schedule, I mean, he got beat up. Now he's healthy now, but he, you know, he's obviously not got the size that um, Franks does. So he's going to suffer, I guess, more physically when he does get hit than a bigger quarterback will. But at the same time, I, I thought all along, Adam, that we were going to see Luke Del Rio. You know, that was just kind of my gut feeling. Luke Del Rio said afterward he fully expected to play this year because he's been around long enough to know that every year, I mean, you're, you usually have to go to a different quarterback either for performance or injuries. He learned that the hard way last year when he got hurt. He missed the last five, six games. And uh, so uh, for Felipe, you always wonder about the confidence factor because he was coming off such a, such a high, such a memorable moment with that Hail Mary pass against Tennessee. He's suddenly kind of like the uh, big man on campus. And now here he is. He gets pulled in the middle of the game. And uh, I did watch him during the game. And I watched the replay of the game on Sunday. And I, I saw some things I didn't see live. But he was really, he truly was engaged during that. So I thought that was a good sign. Because the worst thing you could see him doing over there was just sitting on the bench by himself with his head down. He stayed engaged during the game. And he looked truly happy that they won. You know he wants to play. You know he's disappointed. But I think. The only thing he can do is just continue to learn, continue to work hard in practice, and continue to be ready if he gets called again because that is not going to be out of the question. Adam, how he res how Felipe responds to this development at this young time in his career, remember, he's just a redshirt freshman who played two games sure. before, is going to be very telling for his teammates and his coaches. So it, it would be to his benefit to – Again, like Scott said, be prepared. You know, um, you have to know Vanderbilt's defense uh, backward and forward and do all the pregame and all the mental reps and everything you need to do as a starting quarterback, you know, and, and go in with the knowledge that it's one snap away. But his body language, how he operates in the classroom, all that all that stuff, guys will be watching at that. And there's you don't fool your teammates. You don't fool your coaches. Uh, and I think um, maybe this will be good for him. It would be good for him to stand back and see how Luke Del Rio goes through a, a week preparing as the number one quarterback 
and maybe say, okay, well, maybe these are some things uh, that I could probably do better once I'm back in that position again. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, a lot of that comes into the, the social media side, what people are saying about it, what people think. And that leads directly to our PAT this week. I'm not sure if everybody had a chance to see this, but Gerald McCoy, who I, I gained a great affinity for during Hard Knocks this year, he's got a lot of personality and it seems like a really positive force for Tampa Bay. Uh, he came out and was pretty upset with some Twitter trolls that went after him and went after his teammates after the Bucks were beaten pretty handily by the Vikings on Sunday. And his point was, I'm tired of all these people on social media hiding behind their anonymous names and their anonymous identities. If you have something to say to me and you want to criticize me, come down to the Buccaneers complex and you say it to my face. And I'm curious, as sports writers, as people who obviously are in the business of critiquing athletes, critiquing coaches to a degree, what do you guys think about this? Because you know, I think there's there's a certain extent to where it's fair to criticize athletes and their performance and what they're paid to do. You don't take it to a personal level, but it seems like Gerald McCoy just doesn't want any criticism at all from fans on social media. And, and I'm not sure from where I stand if, if that's fair on his part. I had a, a rule as a sports writer and I was a newspaper reporter for 27 years and Scott had a career, what, 20 years? Close, Close to it. Yeah. yeah. I had a rule. If I wrote a story that portrayed an athlete in a negative light and was in the paper that day, it was part of the routine. I was in front of his locker that day to give him a chance to either respond. But I mean, there's no there's no sense in, in ducking away from a situation like that. Now, this is totally different. These are fans. OK, mm-hmm. if your boy wants to drive around in his Maserati or whatever he drives and turn on talk radio, he's probably going to get the same thing. And that's no different than it's been for 20, 30 years with uh, when it comes to fans just calling in and venting. I guess you. You can block guys, you can get off Twitter, you can do some things. But, I mean, it's it's football. I mean, football, there's nothing as passionate, as emotional as football. The storylines change every week. Uh, it's life or death for some of those people. And I think you'd be better served to just view some of those guys as idiots instead of uh, challenging them to come down and, and meet them in the parking lot at one buck in your place. It couldn't get in anyway. I've been to one buck in your place a thousand times. <laughs> Got a lot of nice security there. I can assure you that. Oh. I'll have to confess here. I mean, I was one of those people jabbing at him on Twitter. <laughs> that, that's how Scott spends his Sunday afternoons. I called him a marshmallow from Oklahoma the way he was playing so far. <laughs> he's playing injured. And he's trying. He's, there's no questioning that guy's, you know, want to and desire. He's a great player. He's a great guy. He's a, one of the faces of the franchise. So come on. I am reminded of a, of a, of a situation. We were on a, we had a teleconference call when I covered the Bucks with the New York Giants one time, and Tom Baylog was a writer at the Sarasota, real annoying guy. And he got he asked Michael Strahan on a teleconference if he was proud of his sack record after uh, uh, Brett Favre took a dive for the sack record. And Michael Strahan goes, you know, it's easy for you to ask me a question like that on the telephone. I challenge you to come down to my locker after the game and ask me that to my face. This is a Monday night football game. And damn it, Tom Baylog, to his credit, can stroll down there and get right up in Michael Strahan's face again. Hey, Michael, I'm the one who asked you that question together. <laughs> and there was some kind of F-bomb or something, and Strahan went to the bus. And that was, the, you know, yeah. so so he, he did his part. He did his part. I have a feeling if, if Twitter was around, that would have gone viral back <laughs> yeah. then. That was only like 2002 or somewhere around there. That's probably. right. That's right. 2003. 2003. But, uh, you know, going along to your original question, Adam, you know, if I was in position of a professional athlete, certainly, I probably could care less what the fans think. College athletes, I do look at it a little differently. I mean, you know, you see it during every Gators game. Some of the fan criticism, I do think, goes over the line because these guys – I know they're made out to be all stars in some way through the recruiting process, but when you when they get here and you really start to see what they are and their ability and practice, you realize these guys are so far away from reaching the NFL like most of them want to. And you know that on any given team at this level, you may have eight or nine guys out of 85 scholarship guys who, who will ever sniff the NFL. So that's why I do think you got to be careful. If you're a fan who's kind of, I guess, got some uh, reasonable sensibilities about himself, you probably don't want to be too harsh on the college athlete. The pro athletes, they're making millions of dollars. I mean, Joe McCoy, you know, you're not going to win that battle if you're him. Sure. Uh, although, Seven-year, $95 million contract extension, $51.5 million guaranteed. Yeah. Wow. I mean, if you, 
if you do want to be on social media and interact with the fans, I think the only way you can really do it and stay composed you got to have a sense of humor about it, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the only way. Like, if I was in his position, I would definitely attack those guys with humor, diffuse them. And if they were just total over the top, I'd block them and move on. But more than likely, I'd probably wouldn't even be on social media. Right. And, and to Chris's point as well, social media, Twitter, it's just basically talk radio in a more permanent format. So athletes probably don't listen to talk radio, so it happens, it goes away, they never hear it. The only difference is that when they get tagged on Twitter, they can see it. You know, it's not going to go away. So it's not this is a different concept. It's just that athletes now are hearing what's being said and I guess seeing it more so than they ever were before. Yeah, and and like you say, you let's say some guy rips Gerald McCoy and tags him, and then there's like a hundred responses piling on him even more. And for all I know, you know, he had a terrible day at at the office or something like that. He's not feeling well. He's going to treatment, everything, and he's he's got a lower body in a in the in the ice tank and. He's scrolling through his thing, just burning up. So if I was talking to Gerald McCoy, and I'm sure his coach probably did talk to me, he need to just not worry about that stuff and ignore it because uh, ultimately those are the same, those guys ripping you are the same people that are going to be praising you when he has a sack fumble and the Bucks win because of it. That's exactly right. right. Don't harass these guys on Twitter. Uh, just read all their content because they'll have you covered for Florida and Vanderbilt at Gators Scott at Gators Chris and make sure to read their stories on FloridaGators.com. Gentlemen, thank you as always. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Florida's resilience in Lexington was aided in part by two bizarre breakdowns by Kentucky's defense that left Tyree Cleveland and Freddie Swain uncovered for easy touchdowns. The latter came in the final minute and sealed the slim victory for the Orange and Blue, and we sat down with the sophomore Swain to find out more about him and his critical first touchdown of the season. I was expecting to block, but uh, when I lined up, I was looking to see who I was going to go block, and then all of a sudden the, the, the corner just took off and ran to the other side of the field. And I looked, and no safety rotated over, no linebacker jumped back. So I was like, oh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. And then I looked at Luke, and I tapped my head, and Luke looked at me, and he threw the ball. <laughs> I mean, is that something you've ever even practiced before? Or as it was happening, are you trying to figure out, what do I do in this weird situation? That happened one time, and Luke, and it was like the same thing, like the same thing happened. And, and me and Luke looked at each other, and he threw it to him, and I actually ran about 60 yards. Let's go. In, in practice, that happened. Yeah, that happened in practice. And that was just a, a mistake that the defense made, which happened in the game. <laughs> Is that something you ever expected to happen in a game? Has that ever no. happened to you in a game before? No, that ain't never happened to me in a game, ever. Middle school, high school, never before? Never, never happened. <laughs> so that's the same situation that, that Tyree was in earlier right. in the same game. So when you saw that happening from the sideline, did you start thinking about what you would do if you were in the same situation? Yeah, I did the same thing. Catch it and go. As you're walking over there and you realize no one's covering you, I'm curious, how do you know what to do to stay uncovered? Because if you wave too much, you're going to draw their attention, right? So, I mean, how much are you trying to figure out how to get through to Luke without being too obvious? Because before the snap, Luca looked and makes everybody set. And I called it out. As soon as he looked, I, I tapped my head on my hands. I was wiggling my hands. And I was letting him know, hey, hey, hey. And then he just threw it. He had faith in me to do it. <laughs> he told me after the play, he didn't even, even look out there to see if anybody was there. He said he just trusted me and threw the ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes people talk about plays when you're wide open sometimes being tougher than when you've got somebody on you because it's just such a unique situation. As right. the ball is in the air coming your way and, and you know what's on the line in that moment, what was your thought process? Was it harder than maybe making a play when someone's covering you? Uh, I mean, it, the ball stayed in the air for forever, but as soon as it as soon as soon it came to me, it just catch the ball and, and do whatever you're going to do. Just nothing crazy because I see what, what a penalty it do. That's right. Speaking of that, watching especially stuff in the NFL, I'm, I'm not sure if you saw what happened where – Von Miller went went to try and help Deshaun Watson yeah, up and then and, gave him a little, little side swipe. Yeah. Right, and then they're having fun, and then they, they throw a flag for it. How do you know at this point in time in football what you can and can't do in terms of celebrating? Oh, I, I try to keep celebrating to a minimum. I might celebrate in practice, but I probably won't celebrate in the game. 
because ain't no telling what you get a flag for right now. Sure, and, and to ultimately persevere and get that win against Kentucky, I'm sure there was celebration after the fact. Can right, you tell us right. what that meant to this team to win the game in that way? I mean, the Lord is is, is obviously working for the Gators. You know, we had a couple <laughs> couple setbacks early on in the season, but you know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, he's still working for us because that's two games in a row that we came out and we went on our, on our A game and, and we still came out in plus. Speaking of the last two weeks, what does that say to you, to have two games that could have easily gone the other way that, that do right. go for the Gators? How do you explain the resilience of this team, and where do you think that comes from? Effort in between the lines and practice, you know what I'm saying? Coach teaches us just finish. Everything we do, just finish. Never give up. No matter what the situation is, just never give up, and, and that's what we do. <laughs> now, before the game, most of your teammates said the streak against Kentucky wasn't something that was talked about in the locker room, and it wasn't a big deal to you guys. Now that it's over... Can you give us a little bit of insight into how that was actually talked about leading up to the game? I mean, 30 wins, at the end of the day, it's, it's bigger than just us, you know. It's players that's been here and that came before us that we can't sort of have like, it's it's like a respect mm-hmm. to, to push it and, and keep the tradition going. And you know what I'm saying? And that's that's all it was, just respect and respecting the, the guys that's been here and who set that stone to allow us to say that. Now, when you've got that streak intact now and you've been a part of two of them, what does it mean to the guys that came before you? I mean, how important is that to you and your teammates to be able to keep something like that going and honor all of those great players that have been part of that for 30 years? Man, it's just, it's just a good feeling. You know what I'm saying? When you know you haven't let none of your past people or, or none of the, the legends that came through Florida down, you know what I'm saying? You can keep that tradition going. And now you've got something you can kind of relate to as far as coming to play ball there's been such a focus on the quarterback position and the different guys have stepped in so far this year I know you're you you go out and you do what you're told but how do you and the other members of the offense find out that a change is being made during the game and how do you then adjust to that when there's a new quarterback coming in um coach Mack does a good job of rotating all the quarterbacks during practice so it really is no drop off between any other quarterback so whoever gets in there we know we can handle the job and, and can lead us to a win. If we can take things back a little bit for you, can you tell us about your family and where you grew up? I grew up in Ocala. Uh, it's about 30 minutes away from Gainesville. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it's country, some of it's the city. Uh, growing up, it was okay. I mean, uh, you know, we had struggles like a family would go through. Uh, play ball, me and my brother. I just watched him growing up, and uh, I followed his footsteps. And I just played ball. And kept playing, and ball got me to where I'm at now. I knew it was my way out. I knew, like, in high school, I kind of started seeing everybody doing the same thing and mm. headed down the same path. And in high school, I kind of took a different route and, and went my own way and took it serious and was in the classroom hard, and, and it paid off. So at what point did football become important to you? I know you follow in your brother's footsteps. What age right. did you start playing? Uh, I started playing when I was, like, seven. But it ain't really get serious, serious until, like, 10th grade. What was the change at that point? When it got serious, what told you this was something that you could do at the next level? Like, I used to watch, like, uh, Sammy Watkins. I used to watch all them guys, you know what I'm saying? And I kind of seen, I was like, hold on, man. I can I can kind of catch like that. I can, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I can, I can make a move like that. And I finally took it serious, and then 7-on-7 seven seven, I started blowing up and, I went to a couple of camps and I blew up and, and I just told myself, hey, man, you, you can play with the best of the best. And that's what I came to Florida to do. So was your brother also a wide receiver or did you go a different way from him? No, nah, he, he was a linebacker, but uh, injury stopped him from playing. Were you always interested in playing receiver or did you try to play linebacker because you wanted to be like your brother? No, I was a running back. I was a running back. Running first. back, okay. Yeah, I was a running back. <laughs> That's the same thing Tyree told us last week, and then he obviously switched and became a receiver. When when right. did the switch happen for you? Uh, the switch happened, I want to say, in middle school. I switched from middle school. I I, I kind of wasn't the fastest no more, but I'll, I I could always run routes. You know what I'm saying? I can always catch the ball, so I tried something different, and, and, and it stuck with me for life. Do you still look at any uh, of your running backs today and, and maybe challenge them, think you can take them and, and do what they do a little bit? You're talking about the running back I grew up in high school? No, running backs in Florida. You ever, you ever tell those guys you could do what they do? Oh, yeah. I be telling Coach out all the time, Coach. <laughs> I'm like Jerome better. <laughs> <laughs> Freddie, growing up in Ocala, 
you know, it's so close to Gainesville, as you noted. Did you always right. want to be a Gator, or were there other schools that, that you thought about growing up? Growing up, I just I just watched football. But, I mean, that close to Florida, you, you would always see the teams. And that's when Florida was Florida was for real, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Watching that old school Florida play is just a, your mind gets gets different, and, and you start to see, hey, oh, I kind of want to be a part of something like that, you know what I'm saying? Sure. So it's funny because when you say – old school Florida football, I think you're thinking of different old school than other people would. So what is, what is your definition of old school Gator football? What what were your memories of watching the Gators when you were a kid? I'm talking about that hitting, like when the team, when the defense hits, they would get up, celebrate with each other and, 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 you know what I'm saying? Just have fun with the game. And I mean, we have fun, but it's to a certain extent, like you, like we were talking about earlier today, you don't know what you're going to fly for in the celebration now. Mm. So you just kind of got to play your game and, and keep it moving. What players did you most look up to watching the Gators when you were a kid? Uh, I actually like Brandon Spikes. Mm. Yeah, he's, he he's a, got he, that attitude. <laughs> yeah, he brought a he, he brought a lot to the game, and I and I just I just like the way he played it. Any offensive guys that that you looked at and said, "Oh, I, I want to play like that guy when I get to Florida." Um, well, you know, uh, I actually like Lewis Murphy. I like the way he. He runs routes and he catches, but he'll talk to you, but it wouldn't be all that out of the ordinary. You know what I'm saying? He'll mm-hmm. just kill you silently. So you're in your sophomore year now. You got off to a hot start as a freshman, and then you were slowed down when you tore your labrum. Right. Can you tell us about how that injury happened and how it affected you the rest of the season? I actually heard it in high school, but I just never fixed it. And, and, and it was bearable through the whole season. But as the season kept going, it would get worse and keep getting worse and keep getting worse. So that's what held me back. At what point did you realize you were going to have to have surgery and, and what a setback that was going to be for you going forward? It was in the summer. Well, I knew before then, but I told uh, me and Coach Mac had sat down and, and we talked. And we thought it was best for me if, if we fix it right after the bowl game. Because he, like, he would ask me, he was like, Fred, what's wrong? You know what I'm saying? I don't really like to tell what's wrong. But mm-hmm. he could he could tell that my something was wrong with my uh, bottom of me with my arm. And when he finally seen, like, because I had got a, a MRI on it, and he finally seen what was actually wrong. And then that's when we had sat down and thought about a plan to fix it and, and whatnot. So that obviously hurt your freshman year, but – Outside of that, what else did you take away from your first year at Florida? What were some of the biggest lessons that you learned as a freshman? Um, to know what you're doing and understand why you're playing this game. Having a why for for what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? Not just playing just because you want to get out there and play. Actually know what you're doing when you get out there. And that'll help you all the way around your game. Wait, and you've talked about that in terms of understanding film study and having to do that Correct. extra work. How did your mindset switch? I guess what made your mindset change to where you knew you had to change your approach? I wanted to be the best of the best. No matter what I was doing, I wanted to be the best of the best. And, and I felt like in order for me to be the best receiver, I would have to understand really what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. You know what I'm saying? Just get in the cracks of everything. Mm-hmm. That way, nothing would stop me. When you look at the other guys around you, I'm curious what teammates have had the biggest influence on you during your development and, and why that would be the case. Uh, probably Brandon Powell. <laughs> hmm. it's, it's, it's more than ball, you know what I'm saying? It, it's just we like we chill all the time and, and we would break stuff down together. We would run, like after like OTAs would, would work out. We train together. We run routes together. Like I pick certain things off of his game that are take mine to another level and he'll take things from my game that'll take his to another level so we just like we'll go over plays together we sit down oh hey bro i don't run it this way that way you can clear this and you know what i'm saying get the ball on the other side of the mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying and it's just he helped me a lot you know what i'm saying coming there as a freshman not really knowing much you know what i'm saying and sure. he helped me a lot a, a lot towards towards football you know, Tyree said the same thing last week about Brandon Powell. Does he sort of serve that role for all of, of the young wide receivers? Yeah. I mean, all the receivers at the end of the day, like we watch film together, so we'll break everything down together. You know what I'm saying? Just, hey, bro, they run it this way. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We're just – but Brandon, at the end of the day, Brandon, he, you know, he's the older guy. He's been here. You know what I'm saying? He can tell you about – he can tell you more about what you'll see and, and, and get a feel for it, but – yeah, he, he's that type of player. There's so many young playmakers as part of your, your receiving group. 
I'm curious if you can talk about some of your teammates and just what unique qualities that they bring to the wide receiver room. Uh, Tyree, he going to bring the speed. He, you know what I'm saying? He going to outrun you. He going mm-hmm. to beat you. Uh, Josh Helms, uh, he, he's the brains. <laughs> he's the brains. He has routes. He will catch it. You know what I'm saying? He, he's a smart player. Uh, Dre, <laughs> Dre, I mean, <laughs> Dre's fast. Dre, he'll get in the slide. He'll block. You know what I'm saying? He mm-hmm. he does all that. He has a uh, 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 he, he's smart. Uh, Daquan, he's young, but you know what I'm saying. But you could tell it's it's something in there for him to grow in, and and he'll be a great player. A lot of people are, are talking about Kadarius Tony right now, and and what right. he's shown. I mean, for him to come over as a quarterback and start working with receivers and right. being mixed in the way he is, what's that been like for him becoming a part of your unit in some cases? Well, I, I think he loves. It. I think I think he loves being that receiver because you know that's what, he can make plays out there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You'll never know what he got. As you can see, you, we got packages for him in Wildcat. You know what I'm saying? He'll go run deep. He'll run slant. He runs. You know what I'm saying? He just he just can do it all. The things that he's shown, too, with, with his shiftiness and some of the, the moves he's made, is that inspiring you guys at all? Is, is there some competition going on in practice trying to out Kadarius Kadarius? No, I mean, we, at the end of the day, we're just going to play our game. And, you know what I'm saying? Whatever happens, happens. Shake somebody, you know what I'm saying? We can dab <laughs> each other up. And, you know, you know how that goes. In, in addition to all the guys around you you can learn from, what NFL receivers do you watch today that make you want to play like them? Larry Fitzgerald, because he ain't the fastest, he ain't the loudest, you know what I'm saying? He does, but at the end of the day, he's like, he's a silent killer. He kills you, you know what I'm saying? His routes are impeccable. He catches the ball very well, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I, I like to watch his game and try to take things from his game and put it into mine and, and try to go from there. You're taking what you just said, actually. I was going to ask you about the, the tattoo you have that says, silence is my best friend. Correct. What, what's the significance of that, and why is that important to you? So, I mean, silence, you just sit back and, and, and be observant. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to be the loudest one in the group. You don't have to be the loudest one. You don't have to, you know what I'm saying? You don't have to broadcast of what you do. I just let what my actions talk, and I like to sit back and, and let my actions talk about what I've done. Moving away from football for just a second, I'm curious, when you have free time away from games, class, and practice, and everything that you have to do, what are some things you enjoy doing when you get away from the game? I like to uh, I like to chill out. I like to relax. Family is a, is, a, is a big thing to me. That's why I like to chill out with family. I also like to play with um like old cars. I actually have a uh, '79 Trans Am hmm. that I'm doing. Yeah, I like I like playing with old cars. I like fast. I like speed. Uh, dirt bikes, four wheelers, jet skis. I like I like all that. Do you put cars together? Can you work on cars? You can take them apart. Yeah, put them together? I can do some of the stuff, but. I have a mechanic, you know what I'm saying, that, that I go to, and then I'll watch him do it, you know what I'm saying? Or he'll tell me, okay, mm. do it this way, and then i try to do it, you know what I'm saying, as right. far as, as working on things that I don't know what I'm doing on. Have you gotten any of your teammates interested in, in working on cars with you, or are they all, are they, they rather play video games? Uh, it's kind of both. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> both. They want to, but it, it, it's time-consuming, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So, you know, <laughs> is there any, you know, when you're not doing that, if you're just showing out anything, any favorite movies, favorite TV shows, things like that? Uh, Gas Monkey Garage. All right. So keeping it, keeping it all in the, uh, in the, the, yeah, the car space. Yeah. I like, uh, <laughs> what's like your ultimate car you'd want to have if you could get your hands on it? Uh, one car. I want, I actually want a 72 Stingray. What is, what is significant about 72 Stingray? I just like the the body of it, I, I, and, and I want a, uh, a drop top. But I just like the body of it. I like the way how it looks. It, it kind of has that speed look to it, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think I look good in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, final thing for you, Freddie, getting things back to football here. Uh, you got Vanderbilt. You got him at noon, and one of the things that Coach Mack talks a lot about is getting up for these noon games and how right. challenging that can be. Can you talk about the, the preparation for that and how you make sure you come out with the right energy and the right mindset for that early kickoff? Um, we uh, This will be obviously be our first noon kickoff. We just got to come out, you know what I'm saying, and, and don't worry about the heat, and we got to get the ball rolling early. I think that's a lot of what he's talking about, you know what I'm saying, don't wait till it's, it's too late. Yeah, okay, we're playing at noon, but let's get this ball rolling early and let's go. 
Coach Mack announced that Luke is going to be the starter for this week's game. So getting started with him for the first time this year, what are going to be the keys to the offense producing against Vanderbilt? Uh, just moving the ball, whether it's in the air or on the, on the ground. Just move the ball. Keep moving at all times. Well, we hope you keep the ball moving, and we're glad that even though you do like silence, that you talk to us today. We appreciate it, Freddie, <laughs> and we, we wish you luck the rest of the season. All right. Appreciate it, Adam. Jim McElwain made multiple changes to his staff after last season, and one of the most notable was the addition of offensive line coach Brad Davis. Davis has been rapidly climbing up the coaching ladder in recent years, jumping from Portland State to James Madison, East Carolina to North Texas, and now at the top rung with Florida. With the microscope on the line as intense as ever, Jeff Cardozo sat down with the newcomer and asked him to assess how his unit has fared through the first month of the season. We started off the season slow. We, we didn't live up to the expectation level that we had set for ourselves. And so really after that first week, uh, you know, we took it in stride. We, we got past the disappointment, learned the hard lessons. And uh, so now, you know, in conference play, you know, the games that, that, that matter for us the most, uh, our guys are making strides. So I'm optimistic about the direction we can go. We're not close to where we hope to be yet, but we're heading in the right direction. Well, and, and even for you, going through the summer, sort of getting introduced to these guys for the first time, I know you probably have an expectation of, of what you expect too, right? Absolutely. You know, absolutely. And so, you know, the things we've talked about early on for these guys is enjoying every day being a Florida Gator and understanding what comes with that. Uh, and that's an expectation level to go out and, and, and give your all and give your best every day. So our guys have really made some huge strides in that direction. More importantly, they're learning to get give more of themselves than is, is asked from a coaching perspective. And what that means is uh, taking care of their bodies, you know, off the field, what they're putting in their bodies, you know, hydration, nutrition, rest. Uh, but more importantly, getting by the office and watching film and really, really being tied into the communication aspect of the game, uh, you know, making sure that they can communicate effectively uh, and have a clear understanding of what's expected on every play so they can, under, you know, understand how to go out and, and, and fundamentally execute uh, when it counts. So we're making huge strides in that direction, very proud of the way our guys are working. Uh, and, and so really, hoping for uh, just continued growth. So how important were those first couple of days then after uh, coming back from Texas and, and knowing what happened against Michigan? Was it a lot of film work? Was it a lot of just reevaluating what, what you were going through? How did that process work? It was coming back and, on, and, and, and figuring out the why because we had a great camp. And, and again, that's not to discredit or take anything away from Michigan. They're a dang good football team. Uh, but for us, it, we had to figure out what was the why. Why did we uh, underperform? Why did we not execute? You know, Why were we not able to effectively move the football and, and protect the quarterback? Uh, and so, you know, Coach Mack did a great job of helping these kids get past it. You know, as a coaching staff, he challenged us to go out and, and really uh, get down to, to, you know, what the cause was. And, and so once we kind of identified what those issues were, we attacked them. And that's the biggest thing. We, we attacked them. We want to continue to attack them to make sure that we don't have these kind of moments that, that creep into uh, a game in the future here. So, you know, we, we feel like we're heading in the right direction. There's been growth and, and uh, guys reaching kind of sort of their potential, so, so to speak. But uh, more importantly now, uh, it, it's, it's about moving forward and continue to progress each week. And as we talk about some of these guys individually, I think we all saw from a, from a Gator standpoint the impact that, that TJ made coming in, solidifying that position. And not the biggest guy. And, I mean, heck, you weren't the biggest of guys. And, sure. you know, you went and pushed some people around. So is that a mindset to, that uh, you try to teach that position? Yeah, you know what? And he's a tough kid, man. And I'd love to take credit for it, but that wouldn't be fair to him or his parents. You know, he's got uh, his dad, tough guy, man. Man, has, has really just groomed this kid uh, for this moment, you know. So it's not too big for him. He understands, uh, you know, the size limitations, but that doesn't, you know, limit the, the amount of courage you can play with, the amount of toughness you can show, uh, and the amount of preparation that you can, uh, you know, uh, devote to, to being ready to play on game day. So TJ really exemplifies all those things. I'm really proud of him. Uh, you know, he's he's really one of the emotional leaders in our room. You know, he challenges his teammates to come out and have a ton of juice and excitement, and and, and more importantly, to go out and execute their assignment. And guys that are big, the, uh, the two anchors on on the outsides. How has uh, the progress been for those guys? You know, obviously uh, Martez going out to to the left side, and then the great Wallawani, as we call him around sure. here, uh, on that right side. You know what? What's really neat is is you know now as we watch video of ourselves versus you know our opponents from last season, and these guys can actually see growth and where they're headed right now. So the neat part is they aren't satisfied. 
you know, with, with what they've done, their body of work up to date. Uh, and, and so they're, they're actually investing the, the, the work and the energy, putting something on film that they're going to be proud of. And that's something we talk about. You are what you put on film. We can all talk about this and that. The bottom line is what you put on film is what you are, you know. And so I think the message is starting to get across to them. You know, we all got things we need to work on. I challenge them every day. And I tell them even as a coach, I got things to work on. I got things that I want to improve about myself and my, my ability to prepare you guys to play at a high level. So we, we're working together. That's the biggest thing. Well, I'm sure you know this uh, looking at the last couple of years, but the, the opponent is a, a team that Florida struggled with over the last couple of years, just struggled to, to generate some offense, do some things, but obviously they've got a defensive-minded head coach. So um, what do you guys have to do to in order to be effective? Well, we got to play well up front. I mean, the bottom line is the last two years we rushed for a total of 92 and 93 yards. Uh, you know, and so they've won the battle up front. And so, you know, Coach Mack has, has challenged our guys, you know, and, and our guys are understanding now more so than ever the role they play in, in being able to, you know, positively affect the football game. we got to protect our quarterback, okay, and we got to do a really, really good job of being physical at the point of attack, you know, opening holes uh, and finishing blocks. we also got to play fundamentally sound uh, and try to eliminate, uh, you know, penalties and things that, you know, hold our offense back. And so, you know, we've been okay at that, not great. So the challenge this week will be to see can we take that next step, try to make sure we you know that you know communication is great, and that we can go out and execute and, and get our job done. You know we've we've won some tight games here down the stretch the last couple of weeks, but you know it'd be really neat to see these guys come out here and just you know kick the door open and and go run the ball and, and take over the game. That'd be really cool. Yeah, push some people around early. Well, and then last thing for you, coach. It's it seems like we've been playing football for forever, but it's only been three weeks, and you know it's it's hard to believe. So there is still a lot of time for these guys to continue to get better in there. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And we try to look at it, you know, just one week at a time, really one day at a time. I mean, we can't look so far down the road. You know, the biggest thing is attacking every day and finding something, you know, some aspect of our game that we can improve, uh, you know, and, and really just trying to enjoy these moments with each other. You know, that that's the, the part that our guys are really starting to figure out is every day you get to wear this orange and blue and get out there and compete, you know, and, and play in front of the best fans in the SEC. You know, you got some of the greatest facilities. You're getting a top-flight education. We just got to enjoy it and live in this moment. And so our guys are figuring that out. We're having a ton of fun, and, you know, we're hoping for some, some big things to happen for us. Yeah, Gator Nation has uh, enjoyed you, certainly, and appreciate the time. Thank you guys so much. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Wake up and get engaged early on Saturday because Florida and Vanderbilt kick off at high noon on ESPN and the Gator IMG Sports Network. We'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the swamp.